The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, If the parents and children and prayer partners and everybody would go ahead and make their way up on stage. Um, We're going to be dismissing the kids in just a minute. We haven't forgotten to do that just yet. But um, this morning is a pretty special morning here at Heritage Christian Fellowship. Uh, Not long ago, we just introduced sort of a new program that's a Um, really a new part of our DNA here at Heritage Christian Fellowship, and that's the Heritage Milestones Program. Um, The idea being is that we as a church want to, and we believe in Ephesians 4, which teaches us that that the primary responsibility of the church is to teach and equip and train the people of the church to do the work of the ministry. And one of the most important ministries anyone will ever take on is that of raising a child. And uh, a lot of times in our day and age, in our culture, the training and raising of children has kind of been abdicated to the Christian schools or to the youth groups or to the Sunday school programs. And that's just not God's design, as we'll see in the text here a little later as we open up the word in just a few minutes. Um, What we believe we are to do is to come alongside families and to help equip them to raise a generation of children who are following Christ, uh, not just as they're under mom and dad's umbrella, but but as they grow and and adopt even their own walk with the Lord and then uh, Uh, move on to maybe even start their own families as the Lord moves on. So we've started this program called the Heritage Milestones. We have booklets that are available if if you aren't aware of this and want to learn more about it. But milestone number one is kind of what we're celebrating today, and that's the parent-child dedication. Um, What we had done in the past is we would do child dedication services just once in a while as uh, a a child was born and the parents would contact us and we'd like to have our baby dedicated and we'd set up a specific Sunday, you guys remember, and we would do kind of an individual one. And and there was something I really liked about that. It was special. It was individual. It gave that child that morning. But as we grew, um, it became increasingly difficult, as you can tell. Um, If we start and continue with one service for one child, then we're going to run out of Sundays available. Um, Heritage Christian Fellowship is a growing church, and in part because it's a fertile church, apparently. And um, there are a lot of children being born all the time. And so so we had to kind of approach it from a little bit of a different angle. And while in a sense it grieves me not to be able to give that special, that uh, specific, unique attention to that one child that one morning... um, I believe that what the Lord has put on our heart and what the Lord has put specifically uh, in the heart of uh, Pastors Brent Sisson, our children's ministry and family pastor, uh, Jeremy Neff, our youth pastor and counseling pastor, and, and Mitch Connell, our junior high pastor, um, they've put together a, a program that I think, though, though we miss out on having that sort of individual, just that child's morning, I think the benefits of this long term far outweigh uh, what we would have lost that day. So, so in, instead of having that, we got everybody here together. And, and what's happening here is, in a sense, it's a little bit of a covenant. This isn't some weird thing where we're just taking the children and saying, we dedicate the child to the Lord, and now they're like supernaturally protected or, or even supernaturally Christian in that one moment. This is actually much more about the parents than it is the child. I mean, we're definitely going to pray that these children are protected and cared for and grow. Uh, but what's happening here is the parents here are making a covenant here. First, to be the child's primary faith trainer. 
to, to put an emphasis on what they are called to do biblically in leading their child, not just in its education and its health and those things, but in its growth and nurturing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, the parents who are dedicating their children to the Lord, understanding and recognizing before us and God that this is the Lord's child. And that they are stewards of something God has graciously placed into their lives. And so it's a dedication service to say, we are dedicating ourselves and the raising of this child to you and to your glory, Jesus. And that's what we're doing here today. Um, these parents have all already been through a, uh, a morning class that Pastor Brent taught through about just some specific faith training and how to celebrate these things. These guys have, have uh, gone and reached out and gotten specific prayer partners to be involved in their life for the long term, people that will continue to pray for them and their child moving forward. Um, they've just done a, a whole lot of stuff. It's really cool. They've got life verses. There's all sorts of stuff that each family has done um, that's up to this point. And so now all of them are here before us and we are part of their family in the body of Christ. And so this is an opportunity for them to make this public declaration before the body here at Heritage Christian Fellowship and for us, the body of Heritage, to pray for them in these steps that they're taking. This is such a huge deal, not just in their lives, but in the culture around us and even in the culture of our church. So it's a great thing to be able to celebrate. Amen. So we are so thankful for this opportunity. Parents, moms and dads here, I, I, I do want to say personally, and I've said this to you guys that morning in that class, I, I regret the shift away from, but it's just my Sunday with the baby. But I believe so much in what the, what the Lord is doing through this specific program and the things there. And I hope you guys are already experiencing some of the, um, the benefit from that, the growth in that, understanding the, the gravity and the heaviness of what you're actually doing, but also the grace of God in your life as he's preparing you to do this. And so as the pastor, but just part of the body, man, we are so thankful for you. We're excited to be part of your guys' lives. We're, we're just really, really thankful for this opportunity. So thank you guys. I want to introduce you guys to these families real quick. And we got to do this fast before some kids start melting down. So um, do I have this in the right order? Where are we starting with? I don't, I don't. It's all, we're all over the place. So we'll just do it this way. You guys just wave when I say your name, so I'm not just looking for you. We'll just do it like that, right? So we have Stan and Danielle Smith and their child, Kyler Smith, who's one years old. Where are you guys at? Right there. There's, there these guys are. Uh, Stan works in construction. Danielle is a stay-at-home mom, which means she's got the hardest and most significant job of, of any of us. Uh, my wife does the same thing, so girl power, we got you. Um, then we have Walter and Janelle Van Ruen and uh, their child, Quentin Van Ruen. Here's Walter and Janelle down here. Walter is, uh, uh, works for ShareFaith and is an elder in training here at Heritage Christian Fellowship. Uh, Janelle is a math teacher at a charter school in Phoenix. It's good to have you guys up here on stage. And then we have... I'm so sorry, I got this all out of order, guys, I really am. TJ and Amy Rose, there's these guys right here. TJ are here, their child being dedicated is Trenton Rose, six months old, little Trenton. And uh, TJ uh, is a peer support specialist and has also served our country through three different tours in Iraq, so we're very thankful for that. And Amy is an event, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. You Army guys always get the attention, Marines. Marines, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you guys don't even know, I almost got shot right there. You don't even know. 
And uh, Amy is an event coordinator. Uh, she's actually pretty, uh, pretty busy in the summertime. If you've ever been to the Art and Bloom Festival here in town, that's Amy's thing. So uh, just an incredible gifted gal and, and uh, amazing servant here at our church and through some other programs in the community. Then we have Alex and Amanda Saucedo. Alex and Amanda, there they are right there. Their child being dedicated is Eva Saucedo, six months old. Look at that. That's so cute. Such a sweetie. Um, Alex is co-owner of Sweet Tea Express. Man, if you haven't had the pulled pork at Sweet Tea Express, you have no idea. You just got to watch out for those biscuits, man. They're bigger than you are. Um, and then Amanda is also a stay-at-home mom, so it's great to have the Saucedos here with us this morning. Got all of them. Dave and Jen Masters. Where are you guys at? Dave and Jen Masters here. And this is, and I've been given pronunciation here, so this warns me. I want to mess this up. Elia? Elia. Oh, so close. Oh, the all caps thing. Brent, you got to know me better than that, man. I need more help than that. But um, Aaliyah is six months old. Dave is a freelance artist and graphic designer at Lithia. And Jen is also a stay-at-home mom. Great to have them here. Then we have Brad and Sharice Ralph. Where are you guys at? Right here in front of me. Uh, Brad and Sharice. This is, uh, they have Charlotte, who's four. Right here's little Charlotte. And then Oliver Ralph, who is six months old. This little dude right here, handsome fellow. Uh, Brad is, works with Boise Cascade. He's a production lead there. Sharice is a stay-at-home mom as well. Mitch and Jesse Connell, where are you guys at? Mitch is the junior high pastor here at Heritage and does a lot of worship leading here, as you guys know. And uh, his wife... Um, Excuse me, his wife, Jessie, is a stay-at-home mom and part-time barista at Goodbean, and their child being dedicated is Lucy, little one-year-old Lucy Connell. And then we have Dave and Jenna Enright. There's the Enrights right here. Dave's the lumberjack-looking guy, but he actually works for Statewood Sales and Service, statewide sales and service as an operations director there. Jenna is a stay-at-home mom, and they have two being dedicated this morning. We have little Evelyn, four years old. She's like my favorite, isn't that right? We have a little bond going on right now. I just embarrassed her, so I'll pay for that later. And then there's Lydia in right here, who's one years old. And that's everybody, right? I didn't miss anyone, right? Oh, here we go. One more. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been terrible? <laughs> Program canceled. Um, Kyle and Melissa Arter. Um, Kyle and Melissa are having dedicated this morning. We have Ember Arter, who is one year old. Kyle works at Crater Lake Ford as a service advisor. And Melissa is a stay-at-home mom and part-time nanny. And last but not least, we have Mike and Leanne Congdon. The Congdons here. Uh, their child being dedicated, Ariana, is three. And am I getting this right? Adeline Congdon? Am I right? Where'd they go? Adeline Congdon. And uh, Mike works for Share Faith as well. He's a web designer here in town. And Leanne also is a stay-at-home mom. Okay, now did I forget anybody? Did I get them all? Oh, you have no idea how relieved I am now. So um, first of all, before we even do this, can we just uh, first of all show our appreciation as a church and encourage them in the things that they've been doing? Just thank these families up here. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So at this time... This is what we're going to do now. This is the time that we're going to come before the Lord. We're going to be praying with them um, as they're making this covenant with us and with the Lord and with their child. Uh, we've got prayer partners and elders and pastors that are kind of here behind all these different family members laying hands on them as we pray. And we want to encourage you now to, this is the audience participation part of the ceremony. This is a chance for you to join with us in just praying for them, for for 
all, all the practicals, of course, protection and health and, and provision, all of those things, but, but even more so that they would be sensitive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to raise children up that worship Jesus all the days of their life. Amen? So let's just, will you just join with me and you can do this if you want to reach a hand out towards them as we pray and just, just really, I, I encourage you, join with us in praying for these families together. Let's do this. God, we just thank you so much for the gift of children. Lord, it is a grace and a joy that you would give these to us, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, the bond of parent and child, that you would fill homes. Just, Lord, family is a gift, and we're so thankful for it. But God, we also understand that, Lord, just as, as any good and perfect gift that you give us, some of them, Lord, we live in a fallen world and things can go sideways, things can be difficult. Lord, there are many of us here that have had really negative and painful family experiences. But God, here before us, this group of people is standing before you, asking for your wisdom, your guidance, your grace, and your Holy Spirit, Lord that they might lead these children, Father, that they might teach, disciple, discipline, Lord, these children in such a way that, God, that even the very picture of their family would be a, a photo of the gospel for the world around them, Lord. Lord, I pray that there would be incredible bonds between the children and parents here, Lord. I pray that hearts would be turned towards one another, parent towards child, child towards parent, I pray, God, for relationships with honesty and grace and love. And I pray, God, for the parents specifically, Lord, may you anoint them by your spirit for the task before them, the ministry of raising children. Lord, teach them what to teach their children. Teach them when to speak, when not to. Lord, give them the ability by your spirit to lead by example and to walk in your grace. I pray especially, Lord, for none of these children here, may none of these children ever look at their parents and have to wonder if that faith is real. But may they see a genuine relationship between you, Jesus, and these parents, and may they walk and follow accordingly. And Lord, for all these children here, they are yours. Lord, we commit them to you. And we ask, Lord, that from the earliest possible moment, may they call out your name knowing that you will save them, that you are their good father. You are the true father. May their relationship with their parents simply point them to you to understand the reality of the gospel, what you've done for them, and may they be with you for all eternity, Lord. And then, God, for us as a church, may you continue, Lord, to equip us, teach us, mold us, and direct us to better come around these people, to continue, Lord, to pray for them, to teach, to help, to assist, to weep with, to laugh with, to celebrate victories, and just to grow, Lord, in grace and to grow as a family centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, we commit all this to you. We ask for your grace and mercy to be upon all these families. In Jesus' precious name, and their church family says, amen. Amen. Let's give it up again for the families up here. Thank you guys so much, man. You guys are dismissed. Do me a favor. Let's just take just a second to stand up, greet the people around you. Kids, you are dismissed. And then we're going to be opening the Bibles up here in just about two minutes.
Amen. All right, guys, grab a seat if you would. If you would, uh, everybody grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high. You might have to wave it around a little bit while uh, people are finding their seats and everything. But we've got some Bibles we would love to uh, loan to you and make sure you get opportunity to use. If you don't own a Bible, that's a gift to you. I pray that would be just a huge blessing to you. um, And you would learn more and more about the goodness of God in our lives. A um, couple of announcements. First of all, I want to uh, first of all I want to say a big welcome. Uh, there's a ton of family members here that have joined us because of the people that were just on stage. So to you, we would love to say welcome to Heritage Christian Fellowship. It's great to have you guys uh, with us this morning. Um, second of all, I have a really exciting announcement. Do you guys remember the whole Save the Storks thing? So the Save the Storks thing is a uh, a new program that. Um, it's really sort of a, a, a mission that exists to try to, to, to basically eliminate, if you would, abortions in the valley. But it's such a great program because it's not picketing with the bloody signs to shock people. It's not condemning of people that are going. It's a way where we desire to reach out and, and deal with this issue of aborted, abortion and unwanted pregnancies by ministering to the young women uh, who find themselves in these difficult situations and, and save these babies through a very grace-filled but gospel-centered way. And so one of the things that they do or what they do is they buy these really nice buses, you know, this big like I think they're Mercedes or something buses, and they trick them out with, um, um, uh, uh, what's that thing called? Ultrasound machines on the inside so that um, what's been discovered is that something around 90% of young women or women who go into um, uh, either a doctor's office or anything, and they see the ultrasound, they get to see an actual image of the baby that's inside them, 90% of them choose not to get an abortion. And so uh, what Save the Storks does is it goes and provides free ultrasounds for these women and then helps direct them to local pregnancy resource centers where people can come alongside, show them alternatives other than abortion and help teach them either how to raise the child on their own. It's just a great, great project. And so we discovered this. A friend of ours, Jeff Gilbert, is part of Save the Storks. Um, You guys uh, would have known him before. He was once the drummer for Cutlass and uh, just really gifted musician. And now he, this is one of the things he's given his life to. And as he told us about this program, we brought him up here to the valley and, and uh, we gathered together churches throughout the valley and just allowed him the opportunity to, to explain what's going on. And it, it became really a valley-wide effort, um, specifically led by the churches here in the community, really, to try to fund this so we could get a, a bus like this here in Medford, Oregon. And the first celebration that I gave you guys some months ago is that someone actually stepped forward, uh, it was discovered it's going to take, take around $250,000 to pull this off. And someone stepped up and gave a matching grant of $125,000. They said, if you churches and, and people here in the community can raise $125,000, when that money comes in, I'll come in with another $125,000 to finish that off. So we've been working on that for a while. We talked about this early in January. Um, our church gave a $20,000 donation towards this project, and, and we really put this out to a whole lot of different people people. It's just been really cool. But what's great is about two weeks ago, and I have forgotten two weeks in a row to announce this, but um, two weeks ago we hit our mark and it's now close to $260,000 that has come in for the Save the Storks bus. So that is fantastic, fantastic news. So the bus is underway There are babies in this valley that will be saved because of the generosity of the churches. And what's really cool is Save the Storks 
has actually uh, contacted. They said, hey, uh, we want to send our guy and a film crew up to interview you, Jeff, and get some of these pastors together because we, the way that the churches came together here in the Rogue Valley to pull this off, we want that to become the model for what happens out in all these other areas. They're not actually seeing that. So um, it's just a really exciting thing to see how this community has come together for the sake of the kids. So really excited about that. It's such good news. And just continue to pray for that. The fundraising, by the way, is still continuing. Um, now what they're hoping to do is continue the fundraising. And so instead of having to rely on volunteers to staff this, they want to get, um, they're, they're hoping to get enough money where they could actually hire a full-time nurse to staff this bus to be able to do this. So continue to pray for them. Um, also, other announcements. Um, Easter's coming up, so Easter basket blessings. If you guys know, we're giving these uh, Easter baskets to kids through the foster care program. There'll be information available out there at a table. You can talk to those guys. Um, oh, the deadline is today. Oh, so okay. So today is the last uh, day to do this. So you can either, um, if you haven't done the whole toy and candy thing or whatever it is they're collecting, you can still make donations towards that. And I'm sure there's still baskets that need to be covered. Correct, Terry? So we can still use your help if you guys want to be a part of that. Just stop at that table out there. And then and finally, uh, membership applications. Um, remember, we have this, uh, the new membership program here at Heritage Christian Fellowship that's underway. And um, part of the membership requirements to be able to make this covenant membership uh, thing with the church is having gone through the Heritage Basics class that we put together that goes through, you know, um, what we believe, the basics of the faith, um, uh, core values, mission, all that kind of stuff. But, but if you, you're, you're in sort of a grace period right now because we unrolled this in January and there was a teaching on January. January 25th in particular. Um, it's on our website. It was entitled, um, A Healthy Family Has Healthy, uh, what was that one called? Healthy Family Has Healthy Members is what the name was. Um, that is your Heritage Basics class for the rollout of membership. But that grace period, if you will, to call it that, actually ends on Easter Sunday. So, um, get your, th that paperwork, the application thing, I want to be part of, covenant member with Heritage Christian Fellowship, we need you to get that in before Easter. Otherwise, you'll have to wait until we do one of those classes coming up pretty soon. And so uh, I know a bunch of you guys have been talking to you, you're like, oh, I got to do it. It's on my nightstand. So I'm just encouraging you. We got basically like two more weeks to do that. And then that sort of stops. And then we'll be doing the class in the future after that. So I'm just trying to save you a little time on Saturday morning. The applications are flooding in though, by the way, they're coming in faster than we ever actually guess they really would. So we're super excited about that and about covenanting with you. So enough of that. We're in Ephesians chapter six this morning, and this is fitting. If you remember, um, last week uh, I, I had a bunch of stuff going on. So Pastor Sam taught the word. For, he gave kind of a sneak preview from our midweek service that's going to be starting out this week in Ecclesiastes. But um, it actually worked out, uh, I believe, providentially as God would have it because um, now this week on Baby Dedication Sunday, on the first Sunday for the Heritage Milestones program, it's really not baby dedication, I should say parent-child dedication, but on that first Sunday, here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and of all the things that we could just happen to be talking about when this Sunday rolls around, what do we hit? Parenting. Ephesians 6, text on parenting. And so what I want to do is, uh, first I'm going to open up in prayer, and then I want to I lay out some foundational stuff that we need to keep in the back of our mind as we approach this. But nothing can be more important than making sure that the Holy Spirit is here to teach us, because without Him, I have nothing for you. So let's just pause and bow our heads before the Lord, if we can. Father, you are so great 
And Lord, your wisdom, it's more valuable than anything we can fathom. Lord, the words, wisdom, and direction of men is worth nothing to us compared to what you have for us. So God, our desire this morning is that your Holy Spirit would be here and that you would be our teacher. God, may you teach us through your word. May you teach us through promptings in our spirit. And God, may you grace me with your spirit that we could be taught even through the words that I'm sharing. God, may words that are shared that are not reflective of your word or your heart, Lord, may they fall to the ground never to be remembered. But Lord, the things that are of you, may they stick to our bones. May they become part of our DNA. Lord, may we walk in them and grow in them. Lord, may they teach us to walk with wisdom, but also with joy and in amazement at your grace. And so God, as we often pray, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So here we are, talking about parenting, and here's what tends to happen anytime you're talking about parenting. There's one of two reactions that tends to happen. Either it becomes this initial weight of, oh, I've got to do better, I've got to do better, I've got to do better, I've got to start doing that, I'm not doing that. Or maybe if you're on the back end, it becomes a guilt fest. I should have done that. I missed so many opportunities. I wish I had known then what I know now. Uh, this can happen. And so teachings on things like parenting and also even marriage as we've done previously, teachings on this can become a really burdensome thing. It can become a heavy thing. It can become a weight. But anytime something like that becomes a big weight and burden, we need to stop and pause and consider the reality that Christ said if we come to him when we're weary and heavy laden, then he would give us what? Rest. He said, take my yoke upon you because my burden is what? Light. So when we're carrying a heavy burden, we need to, we need to be able to discern what that is. And guilt and condemnation do not come from God. They come from our enemy who wants to bury you in guilt or bury you in busyness so that you don't recognize and realize the big picture of the things that are going on. Here's the truth about parenting. All of us are ill-equipped going in and filled with regrets coming out. All of us are. There's not a person on the planet that goes in thinking they've got it nailed. And I mean, even, even if you feel that way, like let's say you had kid number one, and, and you go through a couple of years and you had your rough spots, but you're like, I got it now. And then kid number two comes and you think, I've got this doubt. I know exactly what to do. It's formulaic. I know what I did before. They cry. I give them this. And then you have kid number two and you find out personalities are different, aren't they? Suddenly kid number two is nothing like kid number one. And you're like, back to the drawing board. I feel like I got to start over and learn a whole new thing. And on the other end of that, as our kids are leaving, we can find ourselves going, oh, the, where did the time go? I mean, what, what happened? They were, I was in the hospital delivery room yesterday, and now I'm watching graduation. How did that happen? Where did it go? There was so much I wanted to do. There was so much I wanted to say. There were so many things I wasted. But here's the reality. The grace and mercy of God exists to cover all of those things. In fact, I would argue this. Parenting exists to push you towards the grace and mercy of God on both ends. To understand his mercy and his goodness and how he has covered you if you're filled with regret watching your children walk away. Or to teach you that you can rely on him and lean on him as you're walking into this parenting experience from the very beginning. God is so good. And God has raised God-glorifying children from the worst possible circumstances. 
So, so parenting's about God primarily, first and foremost. We need to understand these things. We, we don't want to go into this stuff just with a burden, and I don't in any way mean for parenting, though it is a heavy thing. It's a huge responsibility. If we're allowing that to become some sort of burden that weighs us down, we need to understand that's not a burden Christ intends us to bear. In fact, if it is, God desires that we would carry that burden to Christ that he might relieve us of those weights. Amen? So parent, if you're here today and you're hearing these things, you're going to get filled with like, oh, Maybe you're going to hear something said that you just wish you had known. Maybe you have a child that's not walking with the Lord right now and you hear things like this and you're like, man, I, I blew it. That's my fault. Then I, you need to understand, God would have you know his grace and mercy. God would have you trust him that he's sovereign over everything, including your failures that God loves your child more than you do. God loves your child so much that he is not 100% reliant simply only on your parenting skills, right? He loves your child more than that because he knows us. So trust God, pray, push into the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you're on the other end of that or, or in the middle somewhere, raising children now, then God would have you hear these things, learn from his word for sure. But the purpose in all of these things is to push us closer to God, to say, man, for me to be able to do this thing, I need Jesus in my life because I just want to kill this kid right now. It's like that, I saw Matt Chandler teaching about this recently. He's just like, Lord, give me a verse, give me a verse, give me a verse. Like those moments, I'm gonna shoot him, I need a verse. Parenting exists to push us into the grace, mercy, and goodness of Jesus Christ. So be careful the burdens you take on, and I'm praying that God would give me the ability to express these things in a way that is not burdensome, amen? And if I miss that, then I'll repent later, I swear. So here's where we are. We're looking at this idea of parenting. And so it's in the context, this, this is a letter written to specific people, real people in a real time, and it has context. Now we take this book and we've broken it down. So you've got Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter two and Ephesians chapter three. And then we break each, each chapter down and it's verse one, verse two, verse three. But if you're not aware, that's not the way the Bible was actually written. When Paul sat down to write the people of Ephesians, he didn't sit down to write them a, okay, chapter one, verse one. Chapter two, verse two. He didn't. He just wrote a letter. In the same way that you would sit down and write a letter to your children or a letter to your parents or a letter to your friend, he just wrote a letter. And so the idea of the chapter breaks and the verse numbers and all that kind of stuff, that's given by Bible interpreters as a, as a tool to help us be able to decipher and break down and understand the scripture there. But it's not part of the, if you will, divine writing. And here's why that's important. If that wasn't the case, it'd be really easy for us to go through here and go, I just want to learn about parenting, so I'm going to skip all the other stuff because chapter 6, verse 1, it even says right there, children and parents, so I'll just go to this. But if you go to that and you skip what happened before, you misunderstand the heart of Paul. There's a flow in this, both before and after the section on parenting. The immediate flow that's really important is to understand that Paul's actually talking not about parenting, but about submission. That the Christian life is a life of mutual submission, where we are, if you will, bowing, not in like some sort of king lordship way, but our will bowing to one another to serve and love one another. And so he starts out in chapter 5 by talking to wives. He says, women, you're to submit to your husbands. And then he goes to men and he says, men, you're going to die to yourself. You're going to submit your life and your programs and your desires and your will to the care and need of your wife. You're going to submit to her. 
And he even brings it to this conclusion. We're submitting to one another. He says right before actually both of those. And now he flows right out of that into chapter 6 and says, children, obey your parents. So there's this idea of now we're going to talk about how submission works between parent and child and child and parent. After this, he's going to flow right on beyond that. He's going to go into the work. He's going to talk about masters and slaves, but as we'll see, that's actually a more modern-day equivalent of employee-employer. It's not a, the way we think of masters and slaves, civil war, that kind of thing. It's a totally different deal. So this idea is, as Christians, our life is marked by submission to one another, really in every aspect of our life. In our relationship with our wife, the most significant relationship you'll ever have, your spouse, but then down from there, in your children, with one another in the church, when all of these areas we are marked by mutual submission, not pride and not some sort of um, authoritarian dictatorship where we're telling one another what to do, but loving submission, serving one another. That's the context here. That's important to know when we're talking about parenting. And so he says, with that in mind, in Ephesians 6, 1, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now here's the thing. One thing that we can feel that we want or or a lot of pastors and teachers can be kind of tempted to do is to approach a topic like this with some practical lists. Like, just tell me what to do. It's a parenting service, child dedication service. So let's just run through step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step two, do this. But the Bible's actually surprisingly quiet mostly. There's not a whole lot written in the Bible about specific how-tos when it comes to parenting, which seems a little weird. There's a lot of books about parenting written on Amazon and things like that. Very few things actually spoken of in the Bible with regards to practical how-to parenting and how the relationship between parent and child works. But here in the text is one of the more prominent ones, one of the most often quoted. And so it's worth our time to kind of dissect and understand and study. And the first one that we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time on is obey. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this because we just kicked our kids out of the sanctuary mostly, right? And that's kind of who it's for mostly. But the first push is children, obey your parents. And any quotes from the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. This is the first responsibility that's given to us, that a child's responsibility is to obey his parents and to honor them. Now, obey is obvious, right? A parent, by God, has been put in a position of authority over a child And it's the child's responsibility before God. He says, this is as unto the Lord. He says, this is right. This is just right. This is the right thing to do. That a child should be submitted to the authority and direction of the parent. The child has a responsibility to obey its parents. That's kind of an easy one. Just whatever they tell you to do, do it. If it doesn't conflict with the scriptures... Because some have bad, we have bad parents, correct? And we have parents that, that will want to teach and command children to do things that are unhealthy and specifically unbiblical. So, so obviously that's not to be followed. But, but in general, and he's writing to the church, remember, hey, children, obey your parents. You're, you're to conform to that. He also says that we're to honor them. Now, honor, way harder, Right? 
ever told your child to do something and they did it, but you know as you're watching them in their heart, they are not honoring you as they do that command, right? Eat your food. <sighs> you know what I mean? It's like when you tell your dog to sit down and he sits down, but he does that slow like, uh, as he sits down, like he's, I'm doing it on the outside only though. And, and so that can be the case. Children, obey your parents. I'll obey. Honor your parents. And that's harder. Respect. Give prominence to. Esteem your parents. That's hard to do. And you know what's weird about honoring your parents? It actually seems to get harder as you get older sometimes, doesn't it? Because some of us have had bad experiences. I have a father that abandoned our family, will not talk to me still this day. That's tough to honor, isn't it? I don't have to worry about obey because he's not calling. But when it comes to honor, how do you do that? How do you honor someone that you have very little actual respect for, that you've had a bad experience with? How do you do that? Well, one of the things that we're gonna see, especially as we tackle this next one, so I'm sort of giving the end away, which is good in case some of you fall asleep. The gospel is the foundation for all of these things. And one of the problems we tend to have, especially as adults, when we struggle with honoring our parents is because we're looking for something from our parents that only God is designed to give you. And so you're carrying a grudge. You're carrying these, these edges, these difficulties. I'm looking to my dad to be the one that would never leave me. I'm looking for, to my dad to be the one that's always there for me. I'm looking to my dad to be that rock, that pillar. But even if dad's nailing that and pulling all of that off, he's doing it mainly and primarily to point me as a child to the good father who never abandons his child. And so if I'm holding that on him, as a fallen, frailed human just like I am, I'm not understanding the gospel. Because the gospel teaches me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, I can remember um, my, my mom once told me something. She, I was dealing with some frustrations over this specific issue with someone, and I was like, I don't understand why they do that. This just seems like common sense. You wouldn't treat someone like that. And she said, if you walk around expecting everyone to react in the same way you do of everything, you're gonna constantly be disappointed, Jeff. And, and here's the reality. Not one person here is perfect. None of you. I don't care if you're doing baby wise. I don't care if you got Dr. Spock's kids nailed. I don't care whatever the most common thing or the, the new way, the new trendy way to parent kids. You could be knocking those things out of the park. But because we are all sinners with a fallen nature, we all make mistakes. We all struggle. And as we grow in the grace and mercy of God, we start to recognize that. And then if you try to hold that a different standard over your own family, like if I try to hold it over my own father's head, but he abandoned me, he left. I'm gonna be severely disappointed. I'm gonna struggle. I'm asking something from my dad that God exists to provide for me. But when I push past that, when I realize I, I, I don't need anything from him because God's covered me, and not only has God covered me, but man, God has covered me. And when I think about all the things in my life that God has covered, I'm gonna share one with you a little later. How, how can I hold this over him? How, how can I hold a thumb over my father's disobedience when God has forgiven so many of mine? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can honor our parents and it, it doesn't matter if they're, the Bible doesn't say honor good parents. It says honor parents. And understanding the gospel is our key as adults to be able to do that. Amen? You guys tracking with me? 
But that's not the one I want to spend all my time on right here. That it's important that our children obey. And parents, it's important that you teach your children to obey because in doing that, you are teaching them something about their relationship with God. So, so it's important that we teach them as they submit to our rule and our authority, they're learning how they're submitted to their heavenly father. And it's better to be the good example in that than to be the bad one because God will use any of them to teach our kids about Jesus. So God uses my, my father's abandonment of our family to teach me how he will never abandon. But how much better to be able to look at your dad and say, Man, my, my dad's just been such a great godly influence for me. So it's important that we teach our kids to obey. But let, let's focus a little more on what this particular passage says to the parent, because that's mostly what's in here, right? Either current parents, former parents, or prospective parents are in this room, right? And so what does the Bible say about that? When the Bible's talking about relationships between mom and dad, and then it goes into relationships between mom, dad, and child, and child with parent. So children, obey. We like that as parents. Amen? Let's just be honest. Do we like that? We like that, right? So parents, what does he tell you to do? It's, it's sort of strange. The only thing he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that's a that's kind of a weird thing to jump to. I mean, if he was going to be giving some specific and only one nugget of parenting advice to the parents, he could have said all kinds of things. Parents, do not let your children stay out past 10, for nothing good happens after then. Right? Parents, do not let your children watch I don't know, Harry Potter or whatever your convictions are. I'm not wading into that muddy water. Parents, don't let your children run with scissors. Right? I mean, don't let your children only have crunch berries for breakfast all the time. Mix in some Wheaties from time to time. I mean, like, it's just, it's an odd thing. Parents, don't make your kids mad. That's a little weird, right? I, I'm guessing the average parenting book you pick up doesn't start with that. Don't provoke, that's literally what it says, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, there are some cultural underlines that will help us understand some of what's going on here, uh, but there's much more than just the cultural issue at hand. So, so the cultural scenario is this, Greco-Roman law at that time was horrible to children. Children were in a really negative position under the Greco-Roman culture. So this is the way it works. Fathers, and this is even why he says specifically, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. The father, the patriarch of the family, wielded total 100% authority within the family structure. Guys, stay seated. We're going to take that away in just a second. Total authority. And so much so that when a child was born, they would present the baby to the father. If the father turned away from that baby, the baby was rejected, left outside, even given to and picked up by those who dealt in human trafficking. There were even stories that would say if the baby, or lit, we've actually found letters, actual historical letters written that says, son, if the child is a girl, throw it away, but if it is a boy, keep it. So fathers, and this was legal. E even within discipline within the family, the father had total authority and total freedom to lead and to address his children from a disciplinary standpoint, including the death penalty. And that authority never left. Your dad's 80. If he tells you to do something, you're still obeying. There was 
total and ultimate authority there. So in the same way, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the issue of submission, what we realized is that when it's talking to women, the issue of submission was actually, that passage was incredible grace to women who were horribly abused and misused in that day and age. And so too, this particular text, when it's telling fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, it's talking about, hey, the way that you wield your authority, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And you need to think about the way that you wield your authority. It was something that was total outside of the cultural norms of that particular day. But what's even more interesting and more appropriate for us to think about is not just that you're not to provoke your children to wrath, but the idea of how we prevent our children from being provoked to wrath. Look what the text actually says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but, in other words, instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So these are the two things that are held in, in opposites. There's the provoking of your child to the wrath is stymied by, is extinguished by teaching. This is what it's talking about. In, in other words, this. The, these fathers who wielded this 100% total authority in their homes, they're being told by the Apostle Paul, but more specifically by God himself who is inspiring every word of this. He's being told, listen, dads, the authority that you carry is a teaching authority only. It is not an ultimate authority. It is not abusive authority. You've been given authority over your children so that you might teach them. That's it. It's not about control. It's not about empowering. It's not about, hey, get rid of the girls because the boys are gonna help you build your empire because they can work, they can do heavier things. Get rid of the girls. That's not the purpose at all. You were given a child, male or female, and given authority over that child, male or female, for the purpose of teaching them. That's what he's saying. Okay, so teaching them what? What do we teach them? Well, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Obedience. Now, understand something. This is, this is really important here, okay? You go, but how does teaching children keep them from being frustrated? I can tell you this. I have met with so many people with daddy issues, right? I got some of my own, believe me. So I don't say that mockingly at all, but, but I've met with a whole lot of people working through issues from their upbringing, issues from their past. You know what? I've never met too many people that are angry and frustrated at their dad who taught them, even if he was too much of an authoritarian. But I've met lots of people that dealt with anger issues because their dad abandoned them. So even if you're a bad teacher, a lack of teaching is absolutely a frustration to children. It does not give them that which they need. And that is such an issue right now. Uh, Carnegie, uh, Carnegie Foundation recently came out with a family study, and this is what they said right now. They're studying kind of the way families operate today, and this is what they said. The family is only a place for creating warmth and encouragement, emotional nurture in the sense of support. Parents are no longer craftsmen molding children. They are more like executives over a plant in which they try to make sure all the processes are coordinated to come out with a final product. In other words, this. We don't teach children. We just create an environment where kids can kind of grow on their own. We'll bring in teaching professionals so we let our kids get taught at school. We'll bring in counselors. We'll put our kids in Sunday school, let the teachers in the Sunday school classes teach our kids. Our job at home is just to create an all-loving, all-nurturing, all-merciful, gracious, patient environment. Now, is it important that we are gracious and patient and love our kids at home? 
absolutely. If, if the way that we lead our kids is supposed to teach them about the way God relates to us, then we need to teach our kids and relate to our kids with great mercy because God is merciful, right? But you know what? God's just too. God's a God of mercy and truth. The scriptures say mercy and truth uphold the throne. I assure you, God's throne doesn't wobble like a restaurant uh, chair that's too short on one leg. God's truth matters. And so he gives commandments that are intended to be obeyed and both are true, amen? So to think that we just create some sort of environment and then we just leave the kids, I'm just gonna let him figure his own way out. Just gonna let kind of cultural input and, and kind of who they are, let them sort of discover these things as they go. The Bible commends none of these things to. The Bible says you're to teach them and you're to teach them obedience and to fail to do that is to fail to give them that which they need. And I assure you, man, talk to people who have issues or who had absent parents. You will find way more people dealing with anger and frustration over their parents when the dad abjected that responsibility and had nothing to do with them than you will even find where a kid was raised up in a heavily authoritarian home. There's at least respect oftentimes in those areas that doesn't exist in the other. And it's really interesting. So if our responsibility as parents is to teach our kids something about God, it's kind of interesting the way we, we look at these things because in our culture, you know, the 10 commandments, there's one through five and we split them up. We have the first four are the commandments, or we call them the vertical commandments. They're about our relationship with God, have no other idols, and, and worship God above all, and those things. And then you have the next six, which we consider the horizontal commandments, that they're kind of, they deal with how we relate to one another. Honor your father and mother, and uh, don't covet, don't, you know, don't kill, that's a good one, you know, those kind of things, right? But it's, it was never like that before. In fact, in Jewish custom, when these things were taught, the split was after number five. Honor your father, your father and mother was considered a vertical commandment. Because the idea was, it is in the honoring and obedience of your parents and the way that you're brought up in the discipline and education of your child that you learn to relate to God. You learn how to worship God. You learn what God expects. This is what you're to learn. So it's considered a vertical commandment. And can I just say by side note, by the way, parents, this is your responsibility. Heritage Christian Fellowship and its leadership will not stand before God and give account for your child's spiritual development one day, but you will. Now, we are called to equip you, to pour into you, to do the best we can to, you might say, create an environment by which parents can raise godly children. But we are not held accountable for this. So, so you need to push into this. It should push you into the gravity of it and push you into a dependency on God that you can actually pull some of these things off. You are your child's teacher. All right, Jeff, fine. But teach him what? Give me my list. I'll give you a little one. How about this? There's a couple of different kinds of obedience that all of us need to teach our children. The first is referred to as initial obedience. Um, initial obedience means I need to be able to teach my kid that when I say stop, they stop. That when I say sit down, they sit down. That if we're standing in the front yard and a car's coming and my daughter's out there on her scooter, I go, get out of the street, and they get out of the street. It's for their own safety, and the reason is it's because kids are just dumb. Can we just say it? Kids are just dumb. They, I love kids. I love my kids. Kids are just dumb. If you take small, untaught kids, you can spread toys out all over the floor, leave the room for 10 minutes. When you come back, they'll be playing with bleach. 
And they need to be taught some of these things. They need to understand what's not, what's going to hurt them and what's not just for their own sake. You might say, so that their days may be long in the land. They just need to be taught these things, right? I said before, you, your kids are learning to ride a bike. You walk them over and you say, honey, I want to show you something. You see this? That, that spot, that's a squirrel. Used to be. That's why, see the car? Like you need to teach them these things because they're not going to figure these things out necessarily. Well, that's not something you want them to learn from experience. Amen? So there is an initial obedience that our kids need to learn. There's a social obedience that our kids need to learn. It differs depending on where you live. Um, but it's the cultural, let's say, uh, manners, mores, how you actually exist in a society. An example, it, dep- it, it changes depending on where you live. In Uganda, it's totally common, we've been there many times, you eat with your fingers. You just do. Rice, everything. You're eating with your hands there. That's not considered a cultural norm or manner here. So there's certain societal customs, mores, values, things like that that you're going to teach your child. You need to teach your kids that. You want to teach your kids to be polite. Amen. It's a dying thing nowadays, right, older generation? But it's important. Guys, you need to teach your men to be respectful for their daughters, to look after other, other uh, gals. Like, there, there's stuff like that that we need to teach them. There are sort of societal uh, uh, things that are really important. And then the last thing is we need to teach them civic obedience. Our kids need to understand that they need to respect the authorities that are in place. They should obey their teachers. They should obey law enforcement. They should obey government. That's not, as long as it's not pushing them towards something that is specifically unbiblical, there's a civic obedience that exists. They need to obey the laws of the land. Now, I want you to stop and just think for just a second. All of those things are important, correct? Amen? All of those things are things that need to be taught. They may be things that aren't being taught as much in our culture today, but are they important? Yes. Three people agree with me. The rest of you, trust me, they're important. Okay? They're important. But, but here's something you need to understand. Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the church. And the overall theme of the book of Ephesians is one of identity. And the book of Ephesians is saying, hey, church, those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, you're sons and daughters of God. You're citizens of an eternal kingdom. You, you have a Holy Spirit in you that is different than anyone else. You, there are things about you that are significantly different than those, and, and even different from you were before you met Jesus. You're different. The fact that Christ came and died for you and has now adopted you into his family makes you different. And so the second half of the book of Ephesians is saying you're living your life out in a way that is different than you would have had you not experienced this. So then let me ask you, all those things I just said that are important to teach, Are they important? Yes. Are any of them things that a Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, or even atheist desiring to raise a good citizen in their household, are any of those things that they would disagree with? No. So let me ask you this. In your own context, within your own household, parents, I'm talking to you, think about how you parent your kids and ask yourself this question. Could my parenting be, if you will, removed from my household and placed into the household of a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, an atheist, something else? And if it was, would it look any different? Would it still work? Because here's the reality of it, and this is why this is included in the book of Ephesians, and this is what's important. We're going to nail down on this and we'll be done, okay? You can be a Christian parent who's not 
parenting Christianity. And that's a heavy thing to think about. You can be a Christian parent who is teaching your kids all the rules, who is teaching your children, your children how to say please and thank you and eat all their peas and respect authority and be good in school. You can do all of these things and not be raising a Christian. Elise Fitzpatrick is a, a, an author of a book. If you want a resource, I'll give you one right now. Elise Fitzpatrick wrote a book called Give Them Grace. It's an incredible book about how to raise your children in light of the grace of the gospel. And she tells a story in there where she was raising her child. She's putting her kid in the Christian school, doing all the right Christian stuff. And her child actually won an award. It's a real award, the Miss Christian Character Award at her school. Real thing, Miss Christian Character. And so she even talks about how as, as this child was given this award, she's sitting there with all the other parents around and she's proud. And she's proud, maybe even in a bad way. All these parents, they're like, I nailed it. I nailed it. I taught my kids this, like all this stuff. I nailed it. Of all the kids in this Christian school, my daughter is exuding Christian character more than anyone. Awesome. That's a good, wouldn't you be proud? But imagine her shock a few years later when her daughter called from college and said, guess what, mom? I just got saved. It rocked her. I said, what are you talking about? You, you're Miss Christian character. What do you know? Surely you're mistaken. You just rededicated or something. No, mom, I learned the gospel. I learned something different. And now I've been saved. Parents, nothing, nothing that we teach our kids is more important than teaching our kids to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing but I want my kids to have the best education. I want them to be the sports stars. I want all these things. If you are not passionately understanding that the most important thing you can do for your kids is make sure they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's a good chance you yourself don't adequately understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you understand his grace and mercy and what a big deal it is, not just now, but for all eternity, there's nothing else you would rather put before that. Nothing is more important than making sure your kids understand the grace and mercy of Jesus. The problem is, is we have a tendency to turn parenting away from the gospel and into a covenant of works. And we go, if I do this, 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 and this, I'll get the result that I want. And it's just not true. You don't have to look very far to see it. There are good parents that end up with kids that walk away from the Lord. Even within the same household, you can see people that use the same methods, same household, same culture, same environment, same all of those things, and you can have one that's going off and doing great works for the Lord and another that's in rebellion, sin, who knows what. You can have them in the same household. It's in this room. So it can't, you can't just boil parenting down to some list of do's and don'ts. Parents, and besides that, lists and rules avoid personality. And our children are different. They have different personalities. My, my daughter, Hannah, I can look at her wrong and make her cry. I can. And my daughter, Allie, she'll start staring back at me. <laughs> They're different. They reason different. 
They think different. They relate to things different. It's different. So if I try to approach the scriptures to find some list of things, if I just teach them these things, I'll get the child that I'm looking for. I'm telling you it doesn't work. My own life is an example of that. I've been through that. It's called moral therapeutic deism. It's not called Christianity. It's teaching your children right and wrong, and you teach them how it, it becomes religious instruction or religious obedience can become incredibly confusing for kids. But what if you did it differently? Because I understand, like, you could look at this and it can be scary. It can kind of freak you out a little bit, but, but stop and think. And here, here's the idea. When your kids are young, you have to teach them obedience. You have to teach them rules, right? Sit down when I say sit down. Stop when I say stop. You have to teach all those things. But as our kids grow, somewhere along the line, we have to start making shifts away from only teaching rules to teaching a story. A story has to come in. Let me give you a couple of examples to help you understand this stuff. So let's say, number one, you have a child at home with some friends or sister or whatever, and they don't want to share. They're not going to share. You can hear them. I want to use it now. I want to play with the toy now. I want to play with the toy. Like you hear the fight going. Your hair is standing up on the back of your neck. You're trying to watch Ellen or whatever's going on. And you just want to get out of there. You want to go deal with this thing, right? And so what's your initial inclination? It's rules-based. What's going on, kids? Well, he's been playing with G.I. Joe for the whole time, and I want to play with G.I. Joe. Okay, how long have you been playing with G.I. Joe? 20 minutes? All right, now your brother's going to get G.I. Joe for 20 minutes, and then the next 20 minutes, and you're going to divvy it up, and we're going to get rules and fairness and order, right? But what if you did it differently? What if your child is at an age of understanding, and you could say, instead of we're going to divvy this stuff up, what if you sat him down and said, son, I am exactly like you? My coworker wanted to borrow my truck the other day because they're moving, and I had to be careful because I didn't even want to help them move, so I made up some story about something going on, and then they asked if I could borrow my truck, and I, I don't want to loan them my truck. I don't want to share either. But you know what? What do we know about Jesus? He shared. He's just like you. I mean, he was human just like us, but, but he shared. In fact, he shared his whole life with us. And, and even your tendency right now to not want to share with your brother and, and the anger that we get over those kinds of things, and he, he's forgiven that, and he loves you in spite of that, and he's sharing his righteousness, his goodness, his love with you, even when you don't feel like sharing it in return. So here, here's what I'm gonna do, son. I'm gonna go pray for you, and I'd like you to just sit for a few minutes and pray with the Lord yourself and, and process that. What do you think the Lord would have you do? What do you think about what Jesus did for you and now you're dealing with your G.I. Joe over here? It's a great toy. I want to play with it some too. I want a time. But I'm going to go pray for you as you respond to that. But then you have to have the courage to let it happen. You could force it. Let them share. And they might let it share, but it won't touch their heart. And listen, God has very little respect. We know this for sure in the scriptures, has very little respect for hypocrisy. Outward compliance with no heart adjustment doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, maybe another example. Let's get another one. Um, your children are fighting with one another or a neighbor. What's the initial reaction? I know what my parents would have done with me growing up. I know what I would have been taught in that same day. There's a fight. All right, make it up. Go give them a hug and say you're sorry. Why? Why? Think about it. They're not sorry. When you see that happen, they're not sorry. That's fake. We're teaching our kid to fake it. 
You can hold anger and resentment in your heart towards them as long as you go through the external actions and give them a hug. You're, you're like shooting nails into their skull in your mind, but you're giving them a hug on the outside, so everything's fine. But what if instead you talk about the gospel? What if instead you said, dude, I get it. I, my coworker drives me insane. I'm just like you, son, just like you. But I'm so thankful that the Bible says that while I was fighting with God, while I was an enemy rebelling against God, that Christ loved me so much that he came himself, that he lived perfectly, that even when people were mocking him and persecuting him and throwing stones at him, he loved perfectly. He died for my sins and he's forgiven me of that sort of anger. He's forgiven you. You believe this, don't you, son? You believe the gospel. So because you believe that, why don't you take a few minutes to just go to the Lord and process that? Why don't you talk with the Lord and see what he would have you do and then step out of it? Well, I don't want to say I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not sorry. Okay, son. Okay. But process that and point children towards Jesus instead of pointing them towards some list of do's and don'ts, some sort of program rule, thinking we're going to get the thing out of it. I, I'll give you one last example. This is a personal one from my own life. When, when I was young and I was a teenager, I wanted to go to a rock concert. I'm not gonna tell you who because number one, you might make fun of me and number two, you might hear me listen to him again and then you'll think I'm sinning again and it's just a complicated mess. So I'm not gonna tell you who. But I wanted to go to this rock concert and my parents would not let me go and I was mad. And they're just, no. Here, son, tickets to Petra instead. Kids, you don't know, trust me, you're thankful, right? I'm not always a fan of modern Christian music, but it has come a long way, amen? So, so here's this fight. Now, our youth pastor comes over for dinner one night, and I was in a bad mood because we just had that discussion, and he could tell, and so he asked. He's like, hey, what are you so grumpy about? And so I just told him. Mom and dad won't let me go to the rock concert, which was dumb, like my youth pastor's gonna say, yeah, go see Guns N' Roses or Def Leppard or whoever it might have been, but that's what it was. <laughs> Theoretically. <clears throat> So here's what he said. He turned to my parents and he said, hey, I got an idea. If you will let the decision actually sit in his lap, here's what we'll do. I'll take him to the library tomorrow and we'll go do some research and we'll go look into this and we'll look at who do these bands represent? What do their songs sing about? And how does this stuff relate to the gospel? And we'll look at this kind of stuff and, and I'll, I'll walk him through this. But you, mom and dad, you have to let him decide. And if he says, I still want to go, you're buying a ticket. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In my mind, I'm already saying I'm going, right? And they said, okay. And he took me to the library. That's, kids, that's what we used to have to do before iPads. We used to have to go to the library. Remember microfilm? You could never, zzz, oh, I passed it. Zzz, oh, too far. Zzz, remember all that? So we had, don't worry about it, kids. We, we got on Google. <laughs> so we got on Google in 1980-something, and... Uh, and I started seeing interviews. We saw interviews of the band. We saw how they would speak, the things they would talk about. We looked at the lyrics. And then instead of bringing it to mom and dad's rules, he's just bringing the gospel in. And look at Christ. Look at the life of Christ. Look at all this stuff. And he laid that stuff out before me. And I won't lie, there was a part of my flesh that was a little disappointed because I wanted to go so bad. But in my heart, I knew what I needed to do. And I made the decision. And I didn't go to the concert. That's incredible. It's risky because they might go. But, but sometimes we can lay so many rules down that we end up creating the older brother. You know the older brother from the prodigal son? You know he's the bad example in that story? 
The son who goes and spends everything on riotous living comes to an end of himself, realizes the, the graciousness of his dad, repents, and comes home. The older brother who never did anything wrong and always abided by the rules stood on the outside of the party and missed the celebration because he was bitter. So there's a risk involved. But here's what happens. We gotta hurry. Here's what happens. When you make this shift, when you move away from talking about rules all the time and you move into talking about a story that is the gospel all the time, there's two benefits to it. First of all, as your children are hearing the gospel over and over and over, eventually they're gonna come to believe it and live it. And that's important because there's studies being done right now. I've told you this before. Kids are growing up in the church, going to college, and then walking away from the faith. And people are like, what's wrong? I did all the right stuff. I put them in the Christian school. We went to VBSs. I did all that stuff. I gave them Petra tickets, everything. But what they're finding is, is the faith was never their own. It was always an authoritarian governed faith. They went to church because mom and dad made them. They listened to certain things because mom and dad made them or they got really sneaky and lied about it like I did. But then they went to college and now the authority structures changed. And now the authority structure is professors and peers that are around you. And they're saying, do whatever you want. Explore, check this out. Oh, that's just your parents' religion. You, don't, you can find your own way. And so, of course, the behavioral structure changes. Instead, what has to happen is an adjustment has to happen. So it's not just an authoritarian governed religion, but somewhere along the line, it has to become your child's faith, something they are learning to walk through, something they are processing. And I, I know it's risky to take those sort of chances and allow them to grow in that, but trust me, you'd rather have them go through those kind of decisions while they're still under your household than you would when they're out there. When they're still in your home, even if they make decisions that are painful for them, you're there to put them back together. You're there to point them back to Christ. You're there to love on them. It's risky and it is scary, but it is good for them. And the other benefit of telling the story over and over as opposed to the rules is because you will start to believe the gospel and live it. You will hear the gospel over and over and over. Man, even in preparing this morning. So, it's been a long week. I had to go to school Friday, so I got to get up at like three o'clock in the morning on Fridays to go to the airport, fly to school, study nine hours with Gary Brashears at Western, fly back, get home at like 10 o'clock. I mean, just exhausted, and then get up the next morning. My daughter has two basketball games yesterday. Thank you, scheduling guy. And so I know I'm going to miss a big chunk of time during the day that I wanted to use for sermon prep because I need to go to the games because that's what dads do. Amen. So I go to the games and all that's fine. Then uh, North Carolina's in the ACC championship game, so we have to watch that, right? So I'm gonna miss another two hours. So there's all this stuff that's going on. And so I, I'm just, I'm, I get home and I'm exhausted. And I was mean to my wife. I was grumpy and irritable and mean. And I wake up today and I come in this morning and I go in the office and here I am studying about how to share the gospel with our kids and I'm reading the gospel, and I'm writing about the gospel, and I'm thinking about the gospel, and you know what it starts doing in me? Dude, what's the matter with you? Yes, you're tired, and sure, after a long, hard day, maybe you deserve to do this, or maybe you can claim your rights, or maybe it's justified because you were just tired, and everybody gets tired so they can all get over it, but Jeff, what's the gospel tell you? And so I had to, I had to text my wife this morning and say, I was really tired. And I was grumpy and I'm sorry, but that's not an excuse. 
And, and I'm, I'm, I apologize for that. I'm sorry for the way that I talked with you. It, it's not justified. And, and we, I'm asking God to forgive me. And I'm asking you now to forgive you, which I don't remember if you responded to that yet, Bronwyn. Maybe she's still thinking about it. But um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She did. She did. But do you see the difference? The, the gospel's working a heart change in me. Now, she could have gone the other way. She could have got up this morning when I got up and chewed me out for the breaking of the rules in not being a very gracious husband. And, and it might have fostered external behavior and done nothing in my heart. But instead, the gospel did a work in my heart. And parents, listen, if you want your kids to walk with Jesus, understand that it is the goodness of God that leads them to repentance and the rules, even the Bible even tells us that the law God gave us only exists to show them they can't do it anyway and to point them to the grace and mercy of Jesus. So for some of us, this is a gigantic paradigm shift, and it's terrifying. But then again, that's the point, because what? It pushes you to Jesus. To go, Jesus, in my mind, this is a bad idea, but I trust you, and I need your grace. Or they broke the rules, Jesus, and I'm going to kill a kid if you don't help me right now. And... The gospel affects every area of our life. Parenting exists to point us to the gospel. And our responsibility as parents is to lift our child up to Jesus that they might experience the gospel and understand how good Jesus is. All the other stuff will work out. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about where you're gonna live, what you're gonna, that, that Jesus taught this. Don't worry about how you're gonna buy food, what clothes you're gonna wear, where you're gonna live. No, but they need an education. They're not going to get into Harvard if they don't have this. Don't worry about those things. Get them to Jesus. God will take care of the rest. Amen? So what I want to do right now is I'm going to have everyone stand. Actually, no, stay. (laughs) Parents, will you stand with me? Now, I say this respectfully because... In this room, there are maybe those who no longer have children. There are those in this room maybe who will never have children. There are people who dream one day of having children. And this is what I want to tell you before we even do this prayer for them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you as well. The grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I've been there. We didn't think we were going to be able to have children. I've been there. So I do this respectfully. I I normally don't like making such delineations because I remember how painful it was for us when we didn't have children to watch everyone else stand and we're sitting down. So it is with all the mercy and love in my heart that I tell you, like, I feel your pain. More than that, God feels your pain. He loves you desperately. Please push into him. His mercy is sufficient for you. Amen? But right now, I do want to take this opportunity, because we're in this text, to just pray for the parents here. We, we did the baby dedication or the parent-child dedication, but, but now we're, a lot of us need to hit reset when we were reminded of these sorts of things, don't we? So rather than burden, rather than you got to do something different, and rather than guilt, I messed up, the gospel is sufficient to cover all of these things and to equip us moving forward. So let's just ask for God's grace on our lives even right now, can we? Let's pray. Father, we are woefully inadequate to be parents on our own. In this room, Lord, there is a mixture of guilt for mistakes made in the past, fear about mistakes we're going to make in the future, uncertainties, even pride and arrogance that we do know what we're doing. And so, God, for all of those things, Lord, and those who would join with me in this prayer, we repent 
and we turn to you and we ask for your grace. We ask for a deeper understanding of your gospel and we ask, Lord, that by your spirit you would equip us to be able to apply the gospel to every area of our life. Father, may our households be marked by your gospel. May the blood of Christ be on the doorpost, if it will, Lord, that, that inside this house there is grace and mercy, there is obedience and truth, but there is mercy and forgiveness. Father, show us how we can make sure that our children are walking with you. May, it, may we be able to echo the words of John who says, I've had no greater joy than seeing that my children walk in truth. But God, I also know that the way that we can best be equipped to do this is that we understand your truth and your gospel better ourselves. So Father, may you, may you instruct and teach and by your spirit give us the ability to press into you more than ever before. Not out of guilt, not of obligation, not of burden, but in response to the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray by your grace that you would protect our children from our mistakes. However old they are, protect our children from our mistakes. God, bring children who have walked away back to the fold. Lord, cover for our mistakes. Forgive us of our, our sins against them. Give us, Lord, the, the humility to repent to our children. And Father, I pray for every child represented by any parent standing up here. Lord, may every one of them be standing next to us in eternity before you in heaven. May all of them walk in mercy and grace. May all of them call you Lord. May you save them all no matter where they are right now. Whether it be from religion and pride or whether it be from sin and licentious living, Lord, save our children and give grace to us as parents, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Make sure, don't forget the announcements and stuff on the way out. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we start a new series on Ecclesiastes. Love you guys. Have a great, great weekend.